0: We return this morning to Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 to 3. Therefore leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ let us go on unto perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God of the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. Father, this morning we return to this section that we've identified as an interlude to begin to work with the specific components and parts of that interlude, returning again to the imperative that stands front and center at the beginning, speaking to the matter of our spiritual advance in Christ. We thank you for the work begun in us We thank you for the promise that you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And now we who are becoming what we are going to be look to you in this hour through the word by the Spirit to inform our understanding and to refine our resolve That this week might be lived out with real cooperation before you, and that it would be a week of growth and development in Christ for our profit and for your pleasure. Thank you for the occasion. We ask your blessing upon us in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. The Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians duly warned the church of unwarranted values, placed upon ritualistic ceremonies of the Old Testament type and variety. The Apostle Paul wrote, Let no man judge you in meat or food. Let no man judge you in drink or in respect of an holy day or of a new moon or of a Sabbath day, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Paul's terminology is picturesque, and his understanding is helpful to ours as we would seek to appropriate the reality of the necessity of spiritual growth and development. It's just real easy to give yourself over to the ritualistic thing. It's real easy on however your family does Father's Day to think that all families ought to do Father's Day that way. And yet, you and I know that over the ages and the stages of life, things greatly change. Sherry and I, our family, is in an absolute barrage this weekend. Today is Father's Day. It's Sherry's birthday. Tomorrow's my dad's birthday. Tuesday is our 47th wedding anniversary. No, we're not having cake. (laughs) The reality is, is that not everybody has to do everything exactly the same way. But people are masters of making the ritualistic thing the thing. Did you get your card? What if the answer's no? Did you get your cake? What if the answer's no? Did they call you? What if the answer's no? Is your whole life going to be suspended on ritualistic things? I trust on this, what is called a holiday weekend. And some of the holidays this weekend that are celebrated are downright ungodly and wicked. And you better not engage in a mindless type of Christianity that is so popular in the day in which we live. The Apostle Paul wrote to Colossians, and warned those people of utilizing an over-sense of Value upon even the Old Testament rituals of the law. Paul described the Old Testament rituals under the law as a shadow. And then he described the body or the substance as the reality of Christ. Paul charged some of the believers in Colossae with ordering their lives according to the shadow and not the substance, which is Christ. The New Testament Christ is the substance. And those Old Testament rituals and types are but shadows. Since the shadow of Old Testament promise and prophecy came before, in time, substantive appearance of Christ in the first advent, we call the Old Testament rituals foreshadowing. First came the shadow, then came the Christ. We recognize and appreciate the shadow, but we love and adore the Christ. And Paul said to the church at Colossae, You can't afford to get those things messed up. You can't afford to be putting energy and expectation and hope in the shadows. You need to grow and develop in Christ. This simple view of Old Testament ritual under the law will help us greatly as we work to grasp the appeal and the imperative of advance in spiritual life that is found in Hebrews 6, 1 to 3. Previously, we characterized the verb translated, let us go on, by the military terms or the military words of an officer, carry on. It is the will of our commander, it is the will of our God, that we would carry on. God wants his children to carry on, spiritually speaking, the best rendering of the verb precisely means to be born along or to be carried forward. Gromacki says that the essence of the verb is a common willingness to be lifted up by God and to be carried forward toward spiritual victory. I, I didn't have the time this morning to look the hymn up, but, but we sing that song. It's entitled Higher Ground, and the words go, Lord, lift me up. And let me stand by faith on uh, on a on a on thy table on heaven's tableland. That's the words, heaven's tableland. That idea of Lord, lift me up, Lord, cause me to stand, Lord, help me to grow, Lord, help me to be where I need to be uh, on a on a higher ground. You and I need to be constantly reminded that He who saves sanctifies, but that sanctify okay, sanctification requires. A willing sense of cooperation on the part of the child of God. The goal in this divine-human cooperation is perfection. Let us go on to perfection, says the text six one, and we define that idea of perfection as living up to the creative design of God for your earthly life. We confronted in the hour previous to this that that you have kings like David. That is, is said to be perfect in his ways. When you and I know that David was anything but sinlessly perfect. But he was perfect in the sense that he completed in his role as king of Israel, bringing that heart that he had towards God to the surface and utilizing that heart in administration over the land of Israel. And therefore, the word complete or Or or, uh, a sense of of maturity is associated uh, with King David, even though you understand, and I understand, that he was not sinlessly perfect. You and I are being called to our own calling in Christ Jesus, which is unto perfection. And yes, someday future, some golden daybreak, or as we sang it in the last hour, beyond the sunset, believer have the expectation of being sinlessly perfect, but certainly not in this whole world. And yet we can become perfect or mature or complete as we live up to the design of God for our lives in Christ Jesus. Christ himself is our example for such. He is our best example Of an earthly perfection. Of course, he was sinlessly perfect. And yet Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 and Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9 speaks of Christ becoming perfect and demonstrating his perfection in humanity while on earth, first advent. In order for the Hebrews to carry on as God wanted them to carry on in perfection there were two necessary things for them to do. First, they must leave behind the things known to foreshadow Christ, or as the text says it, the principles of the doctrine of Messiah. The principles are the doctrine of Christ. Uh, They had to come to a place where they weren't just constantly hashing and rehashing uh, uh, the truth Uh, uh, that adds up and that allows a person to come to the expression of saving faith in Christ. And indeed, secondly, they were to press on, leave something behind, and then press on in letting God carry them forward onto maturity or perfection in Christ. The writer of Hebrews is thereby bringing to the New Testament flock This idea of something to let go and plenty in which to grow. Something to let go and plenty in which to grow. Something to let go and plenty in which to grow. Go and grow. Go from the, the beginning days of understanding that adds up to your salvation in Christ and get growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, because of the fact that the writer is writing to the Hebrews, five teachings leading up to the correct identity and embrace of Jesus as the Christ are reviewed for that Jewish audience in verse 1 and 2. Each of the five have a particular point of application for us, especially as we think about the consistency and the thematic emphasis of Messiah in the Old Testament scriptures. But the five things stated uh, had particular meaning for the Hebrews that had lived under the rituals of the Old Testament law. What am I saying? I'm saying this. When you read the word baptism, there's something in your mind. There's something in my mind. And we have to be careful not to associate the word baptism with what is first in your mind, in my mind, when we realize this was written to Jewish people. What would be in the mind of a Jewish person who had kept the ritual of the Old Testament law with the word baptismos? baptism? That's the question. And then as we answer that question, we come to understand what the text is talking about. It'd be easy for you, easy for me, to see the word baptism and immediately think about what we do in the water, whereby we place a candidate under the water, symbolically representing the death of Christ, and bring the candidate up out of the water, symbolically representing the life of Christ, and then pledging, as it were, the testimony of the candidate to live in the newness of the life of Christ. That is, for us, New Testament baptism. But the baptism of verse 2 is not talking about New Testament baptisms. And by the way, it's plural, baptisms. How many times did they get dunked? They weren't dunked at all. That's not the point here. You'll see it in a minute. The five teachings leading up to the correct identity of the embrace of Jesus as Messiah are reviewed from a Jewish perspective. All five things stated had particular meaning for the Hebrews that had lived under The law of God. So let's review the five. It'll go rather quick. Here they are. Number one, we speak of God's demand for repentance and faith. God's demand for repentance and faith. Verse one, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Messiah, doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again as we have laid, and we might add, and laid, and laid, and laid, and laid, and laid, and laid. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Unsaved people, Jewish or not, must turn away from their sins and place themselves in faith and dependency upon God. From sin to God. From sin to to God. We call that conversion. This is the book, Hebrews, that will soon declare the blessed simplicity. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, without the right rituals, it is impossible to please God. When the apostle writes concerning these things, He is pointing us in the direction of the substance, which is Christ, and not the shadow. He's really not even talking about just the idea of sinfulness, per se, but he's talking about the shadows that foreshadowed, as it were, the substance, which is Christ. In building, the contractor would never lay a foundation let it cure, let it dry, if it's cement, like it is often in this area, and then on top of it lay another foundation, and then on top of it lay another foundation, and then on top of it lay another foundation. No, the reason for laying a foundation, the reason for laying a cornerstone, is so that you can then upon that foundation build the superstructure. The foundation of our faith has been laid in Jesus the Christ. No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, Paul said to the Corinthians, which is Jesus Christ. What is being said here is to these Hebrew people, listen, we don't need to lay down the foundation of Christ again. We don't need to lay down again the foundation of logic, of turning from sin and towards God in Christ. It's time for all of us, it's time for you as believers, to build upon the foundation that has been laid in Jesus Christ. The Hebrews had come to know the reality of Christ, and it would be foolish as a result of that for them to overvalue or depend upon the things that foreshadowed Christ. Repentance from dead works specifically refers to those ritualistic things under the law of God by which no man was ever justified. God's way forward has always and ever been the way of faith. That's why in the book of Hebrews already, and in the book of Hebrews again, Abraham will be cited as an example of because Abraham was justified by faith. He lived before the days of the law and was justified before God by faith. Likewise, Moses, Aaron, Samuel, David, please God by faith. Overvaluing and depending upon the Old Testament rituals that were foreshadowing Christ wasn't saving good even in the Old Testament era. Old Testament saints weren't saved by ritual. They were saved by faith. And so much the more after the coming of the Christ. Old Testament saints were saved by faith, not by ritual keeping ever. In application to us, we preach the truth of conversion, saying, turn from sin and to God by faith in Jesus Christ. The from part is repentance. The to part is faith in Christ, whether you're Hebrew or not. And so you could say, in an essence, that the writer is encouraging, he's appealing to the Jewish people of his day uh, to not just be constantly uh, uh, rehearsing uh, the reality of the foundation that has been laid in the Old Testament prophecies and promises and types that add up to Jesus Christ but to build upon the foundation laid, the superstructure of a life that is pleasing to God. So, the demand to move on from the foundation laid in repentance and faith. Secondly, under the law, there were various priestly baptisms or washings of practically everything. Pans were baptized. Pots were were baptized. Priests were baptized. Sprinkled, poured, baptized, washed. The idea of washings. I want you to take a look with me at an Old Testament example of that in Numbers chapter 8. Numbers chapter 8 and verse 7. Numbers 8, 7. And thus shalt thou do unto them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purifying upon them and let them shave all their flesh and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Now let's think about that verse for just a moment. Such instructions were given to Jewish people under the law. And these instructions led to a condition of, quote, making themselves clean. Now, you and I should know that that cannot possibly mean that they made themselves spiritually fit and clean before God. God but they made themselves ritualistically clean before men in priestly, foreshadowing service. I don't know about you, but I shave and shower daily. Even on my day off, I shave and shower. But shave and shower has never made the heart of this man, clean. The heart of a man can only be cleaned by God. A heart of a man can only be washed by the blood of Christ. Nonetheless, there were multiple washings, multiple baptisms. Not the kind of New Testament baptism that we have in the water tank depicting the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but washings, cleansings. Multiple cleansings. And the Jewish congregation of the first century would have been very, very familiar with the symbolic foreshadowings of those washings as fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the writer is saying to them in chapter 6 and in verse 2, we need to move on from uh, just the foreshadowing washings. We need to get beyond just the ritualistic and we need to uh, settle upon and, and camp upon the substance which is Jesus Christ. And so in that sense, he says, let's move on from repentance and faith. There's a sense in which no believer ever moves on from r- repentance and faith. Because when you sin, what do you do? You confess your sin and, and, uh, and know that God is faithful and just to forgive your sin. And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then you have faith that he has. And so there's a constant sense of repentance and faith. It's not talking about that here. It's talking about that ritualistic sense. That Jewish sense of repentance and faith. That was laid down over generations in the law. That was foreshadowing the substance. But was never the substance. The substance has always been God the Son. The Christ. Our Savior. The third thing. Laying on of hands. Well, I think of what happened to me in April of 1978. I became the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Cass City in September of 1977. And one of the very first things that the deacon said to me when I became their pastor is they said, we know you haven't been ordained. Are you interested? And I said, yes, I'm interested in the recognition of this local church, of my pastoral gift, as I demonstrate it before you. And so, uh, uh, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, uh, eight months after I became the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Cass City, uh, they called on, uh, in the month of April in 1978 an ordination council. And the council examined me as to my fitness and doctrinal uh, matters in regards to the ministry. And uh, Sherry and I gave our testimonies and gave uh, a testimony of our desire to serve the Lord and, uh, and uh, the council met and recommended to the church that they proceed with my ordination. The following Sunday, uh, the church ordained me by calling the deacons and a few representative pastors that had come to the service to speak. And they came and they laid their hands on me. I had all these people putting their hands on my head. And they prayed for me. And they recognized the aspect of my life as being set apart by God in ordination. So when I hear, when I read the words, laying out of hands, that's what I think about. Now, chances are, when you hear laying out of hands, that's maybe not what you think. If you're a kid that yesterday disobeyed your dad, laying out of hands may mean a very different thing to you today, if you know what I mean. So what did it mean to that Jewish congregation when the uh, writer says, and of laying on of hands? Well, whenever animals were sacrificed under the law, The worshiper was expected to personally identify with the animal before sacrifice. The lamb, the goat, the dove, by the laying on of hands, became my lamb, my goat, my dove. And then when that lamb was sacrificed, it was sacrificed on behalf of me. Blood was shed on behalf of me. The laying on of hands has to do with the personalization of the sacrifices that were given on the single yearly important encompassing of the whole nation day called Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. The high priest would lay his hands upon the head of the sacrificial animal for the whole of the nation. Now the Jewish people to whom this book was originally written would understand the ritual and would understand the uniqueness of its application and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to place your faith In Jesus Christ. It means that you take your sinful hands and you lay them, as it were, on the head of Jesus Christ as he died for your sins on the cross, knowing that he takes your sins in substitution as his own. Having no sin of his own, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that's what it means to lay on of hands for us. But what it meant to them was that ritualistic sense of the laying on of hands in the sacrificial system. We that have, in essence, put our hands on him need not lambs or goats or doves. Christ died once for all. And on the basis of the blood of Christ, we exercise our faith. In him. Number four in the list, and of resurrection of the dead. Now, we recently saw this spring the Old Testament truth of bodily resurrection and found that it was well represented in the Old Testament era. Didn't tell you at that time, but one of the reasons why uh, I was uh, prompted and led of the Lord to preach that series on Old Testament references of bodily resurrection was because of this New Testament text in Hebrews chapter 6 that would particularly reference the Old Testament rendering the foreshadowings and the truth of the resurrection from the dead. There's no need uh, to rehash that well-established doctrine uh, uh, or the accompanying truth, which is number five, by the way, of God's eternal judgment both the idea of bodily resurrection from the dead and God's eternal judgment, both of those doctrines are well established in the Old Testament prophecy. Daniel 12, for instance, says both, speaks of both bodily resurrection unto life and bodily resurrection unto forever death. Daniel twelve two says, and many of them that sleep In the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame or everlasting contempt. Daniel spoke of everlasting life and everlasting death in the Old Testament era. And so the writer is speaking to these Jewish people that knew not only the rituals of the Old Testament law, but knew the the doctrinal uh, heartbeat of the Old Testament prophecy. That God is a God of the living and not the dead. That God has promised a bodily resurrection. And that the bodily resurrection is either unto life for those that exercise faith, or it is resurrection unto forever death and contempt and shame for those that do not exercise faith. And that was a well established doctrinal truth in the Old Testament era. And thereby, the truth of God that all men awake, some to life and some to forever death, is clearly taught in the scriptures, old and new. And so, there is no need to try to reinvent those things, no need to constantly rehash those things. Uh, They are to be declared. They are to be believed. They are to be acted upon with faith and by faithfulness. Five things that uniquely describe what doesn't need to be done over and over and over and over and over over again when once you've gone through the details of those realities for your own soul, for your own faith, for your own heart, all from a Jewish perspective. And that then brings us to the third verse, which says, and this will we do if God permit. Now, the plain sense of that verse is not uh, the most obvious in the English text. Uh, Carrying on, as God would have us carry on, is the this we will do in verse 3, when it says, and this will we do. What are we doing? What are we doing? That goes back to the verb carry on. Carrying on to perfection. What are we going to do? Carry on to perfection. We're going to make that our emphasis. We're going to make that our drive. We're going to make that our thought. We're going to make that our our heartbeat. We're going to carry on to perfection. That's what we're going to do. And then that phrase, if God permit, has a careful sense of reminder that everything that you and I would propose to do depends upon God for doing it. So much so that James tells us in his epistle that uh, you, you're going to say, I'm going to go here and I'm going to go there and I'm going I'm to get this and I'm going to get that. James says, you would be better to say, if the Lord wills, I will go here, and I will go there, and we will do this, and we will do that. Because every breath we take, every food we digest, every ounce of energy we possess, everything we do is part of God's good gift to us by grace. So therefore, the this we're going to do is carry on. As God enables us, we will carry on. It is always the will of God that we advance in the knowledge and the grace of God. And the writer was confident that he and the Hebrews would carry on as God gave opportunity and liberty to do so. All spiritual motion forward depends upon God's will and plan. Today is a day of growth. An advance for me, spiritually speaking, as it is for you. Now, we got just a couple of minutes in this hour, but I'd like you to see the pattern of this foundational laying preaching and then the idea of moving on from it as it's recorded in the record of the New Testament history. So quickly let's go to Acts 17 and let's just pick up on what happened at Thessalonica under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. I read Acts 17:1 to4 A. Now when they, Paul Silas and Timothy, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Where was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul as his manner was, Bill as his custom was as he was wont to do Uh, Paul went in unto them uh, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures now what scriptures did Paul have? did he have Matthew? no, Mark? no, Luke? no, John? no, Acts? no this is in Acts. Uh, Romans, no. What did Paul have by way of scriptures? He had Genesis to Malachi. He reasons with them out of the scriptures, opening, there's a word to chase, and alleging, there's a word to cra- chase, that Christ, Messiah, must needs have suffered, Isaiah 53 and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom Paul preached unto Thessalonica is Christos is Messiah is king of the Jews verse 4a and some of them believed and it's some of those that believed that formed a congregation that later on were written to as Hebrews because they were shaky and inconsistent in their beliefs. And so you have right in the record of the New Testament missionary advance, you have the pattern of the Apostle Paul in laying down the foundation and laying down the logic, the ritual logic, the, 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 the accumulation of promise and prophecy and types or rituals that come together in the New Testament to present us with Jesus as the Christ, the King of the Jews, and the Savior of the world. And, of course, we know from the last hour that that was Matthew's purpose in writing the Gospel of Matthew. And here the epistle to Hebrews was written to fortify some of those that had heard that logic, embraced that logic, and put their faith in Christ to not walk away from it. And of course, if they did walk away from it, they would prove they had never been saved because you can't lose your salvation. But the reality is the apostle to the Hebrews says in essence, I will not continue to rehearse over and over again the logic of Old Testament promise and type and prophecy that Jesus is the Messiah as if it were in doubt. And neither should you. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, let's get beyond the shadows and grow in the substance which is Christ. The appeal then is Carry on. The prayer that goes with that appeal is, O oh God of grace, please carry us on. Father, help us to be a responsive people, cooperative with thy blessed spirit within us, growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, and help us to be a people that refine the emphasis of our lives and our communication to honor and glory our Savior, the Lord Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.